you guys can go ahead and turn open to Romans 7. Yes. Not yet. After we're done. All right. Um, and as you're flipping there, I brought a box up here with me. It's a really nice box. It's made out of cardboard. Um, it has some of those cool, like, opening leads, you know, that thing, the way they cut the boxes and nicely opens and closes, right? Um, what, do you, what do you think about my box? It's very odd. It's very odd. Who said odd? It's hot. Oh, it's hot. Sure. Yeah, cool. Oh, he said that. Alright, so other than that, what else do you think about my box? Pretty nifty. It is a box. It's good looking. Is there anything in the box? Any other thoughts about the box? Maybe more specifically, how do you think it looks? It's kind of flat. A match might catch on fire pretty quickly. That's true. If you step on it, Do you like the size of the box? No. Too small. Too narrow and long. Okay. Okay. What do you think you could put inside the box? A smaller box. Pizza, piece of paper. A smaller box. Donuts? There is something in here, so I'm wondering if something My stress bubbles. Your stress bubbles. That's not a very big box for a stress bubble. Well, in this box is something really special to me. It would be one of those things that if a fire happened in your house, you know like the running list of things that you would grab before you ran out the door? Uh, 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 Juniper is not in the box. She's pretty flexible, but not that flexible. Um, Alright, she's not in here. It's not her. It's not Tara. No, I was worried. Okay? Is it a piece of paper It's something really important to me, though. It costs me a lot of money and time to do. Okay, here's the problem. I can't tell you because the only people that are allowed to open this box are actually Tara and I only. Is it metaphorical? This is awkward, right? Now this is. Um, you see, the things in this category is locked for everyone else. No one else can see it. No one else is allowed to see it. In fact, I would go as far to say I would forbid you to see it. I just wanted to show you the box. It's cool. I like the box. But you can't look inside it. Can you pick it up and shake it up? That's my favorite type of box. It's this one. Now that you know you can't look inside of it, how do you feel about the box? Alright, listen. Listen, listen. 
reason I brought the box, the reason that I told you everything about the box, everything that's inside of the box, and then told you you're not allowed to have it. In fact, you're forbidden to have it. I wanted to show, and I think I did, at least for some of you, that the fact that I kept doubling down on the fact that you can't look inside made you want to what? Admire the, right? the box. Look inside the box. You want to know what's inside. The fact that you said we can't know now makes me want to know more about what's inside of the box. The fact that you told me I'm not allowed to open it makes me want to run on stage and just open it so I can just know what's in the box. Romans 7 tonight, we're going to talk about this idea that there's this thing called the law. Has anyone heard of the law before? Talked about in the Bible? Does anyone know what the law is? What is the law summarized into? The rules we use is Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Right? The law is the Ten Commandments. So when the Bible talks about the law, it talks about Ten Commandments. And the idea tonight is we're going to see that the law actually makes us want to sin. The law encourages us, pulls us towards sin. But when we find freedom from not being under the law, we finally find life in it and delight in it. Some of you may be thinking, what in the world does the law, the Ten Commandments have to do with my life? Well, Romans 7 would say everything, because it has everything to do with your sin and your marriage or union to Christ, which we're going to talk about tonight. So in uh, chapter 7, look there, we're going to start reading here in verse 1. And the main point I want you to see tonight is that we have been set free from the law to now delight in it. We've been set free from the law to now delight in it. Okay? So, starting in verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, Paul's continuing his argument from chapter 6 here. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she leaves with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So Paul starts us off here with a really interesting illustration. And honestly, as I was reading through this section of scripture, I was like, really, Paul? Like, that's just a hard illustration. And it is. And, but as we continue into the passage, you're going to see why Paul uses this as one of the better illustrations to show the relationship of the law and us. <clears throat> the point here that he's making is that we have been ransomed or set free from the law. And in order to be set free from this law, 
What must happen to us is what happens in the law of marriage. We have to die in order to be released from the law. Well, I keep saying from the law. What does that mean? From the law, or you could say under the law. All that means is this. In order for you to come out from under the burden of perfectly following the Ten Commandments, Paul is saying death has to occur. You have to die. Now, we're not talking about physical death here, but we are talking about someone who died physically for you and I. And now you see why I was saying that it's important that we're going to see the connection between Christ and us. Because of Christ's death, in dying, he sets you and I free from the obligation of the law. You and I are no longer under the penalty of the law if we are in Christ. For in Christ we are free from that. You know, Paul's um, saying here that a married person is not allowed to remarry as long as their spouse is still living. So, again, I know this is maybe confusing, but I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. What he's saying with the married, uh, um, unmarried thing is, if your spouse is still living, you can't remarry. If you are still under the law, you can't be with Christ. You can't marry Christ because you're married to the law. You're under the law or you're under Christ. And what this is saying is that we have to die or pay the penalty someone does to bring us out from under the law to then be married to Christ. And who does that for us? Christ does in his death and his perfect following of the law. Before we become believers, we're under the law. What does that mean? It means that you and I are under the demands of the law. The Ten Commandments must be followed to perfection by you. And if they are not, the punishment of falling short will fall on you. And that punishment is death. That punishment is, as we talked about in the beginning of Romans, the wrath of God poured out on you and me. If you are under the law, that means this. If you haven't followed the law perfectly, which if any of you in here think you really have, sorry to burst your bubble, but you haven't, right? I think you know that. But if you are under the law, that means you're also under wrath. Because it, at any small point, and we're not even at small points, we're at big points of not following the law, we fall short. And the wrath of God comes down on us because of that. And he says this in verse 4, you see in chapter 7. He says, Likewise, brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And then verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. The law was at work in our members bearing fruit for death. How was the law at work? It constantly was showing you and I how sinful and how much we fall short. 
And as I talked about with the box illustration here, it also breeds in us a desire to be God and to grab autonomy or self-sufficiency or whatever words you want to, you want to put there, to be like God. Why, when we're told you can't, why, when we're told it's forbidden, why, when we're told no, what's our first thought? Well, now I want to do it more. Why? Because there's a rebellious spirit in us that wants to say, no, I think I know better. I think I know more. I think I'm smarter than you. I think it will be fine. And the pride in our hearts pushes away the commandment of God and says, I want to just do more now. Now you told me not to. <clears throat> this is, um, as we hear God say, this is good for you. And think, yeah, but maybe what I think should be done is better. This is what it means to be under the law. So now let's talk about what it means to be under Christ. But now, verse 6, it says, We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Remember last week we talked about being enslaved to sin. To be enslaved to sin, to be enslaved or under the law. But now he's saying, You have been um, a captive that has been set free, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. We are released brought to nothing, passed away, severed from the law, no longer under its demands, burdens, it's gone. From that which restrained, held us captive, suppressed us, and enslaved us, we are no longer that we are under Christ. We are new creations. Galatians 6 says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation Ephesians 4 says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created at the likeness of Jesus and true righteousness and holiness. And then wrote our governments, Colossians 3, we have put on the new self that which is being renewed in the image of its creator. To be under Christ is to be a new creation, not that which is enslaved or encaptured by the law. We have freedom in Christ. What does it mean to have freedom in Christ? It means to not be under the burden of the law. But because Christ has perfectly followed and fulfilled the law for you and for me, we have freedom to now enjoy and delight in following his law. Knowing we're not going to do it perfectly and, and no longer do we need to. We do it out of delight and service to Jesus. So <clears throat> you may ask, well, is the law bad or not needed anymore? And he says, certainly not. The law shows us how we love and honor Christ. Did you know that if you're a Christian here tonight, you are married to Christ? Scripture would use that term, that phrase, often, that you are married to Christ. But it talks about the bridegroom and the bride coming together in Revelation, that you are married to Christ. 
And that metaphor is supposed to show this, that you have been united. When someone gets married, they become, as Scripture would say, one flesh. You and Christ are put together united like this. Which is why when God looks at you, he doesn't just see you. He sees Jesus. Because you're one. Also, when you battle with sin, it's not just you. It's you and Jesus. Because you're one. He gives you power. He gives you uh, holiness. He gives us clean hearts. Because we're one. We're married to him. When we are married to Christ, we become one flesh with him. And now we live to serve, obey, honor, respect, love to the one we are married. Becoming a Christian is a complete change in allegiance and relationship. When someone marries, everything about their life changes on that day. I know none of y'all know this because none of you are married, but you've gone to weddings, right? When they stand up there and they make vows to each other. Why, is it, why are everyone so moved by that? Because there's something deeply satisfying and beautiful to watch two people say, I am leaving everyone else in this world aside, and I am devoting my whole life to you. My body and soul is yours. There is something beautiful about that moment. The same is true when we come to Christ. When we come to Christ, we come with, as people who have changed allegiances, changed relationship. Everything in our life changes on that day. Because here's the truth. Before you get married, technically you could go date... You can go be with whoever you want. You can go make any decision you want. Your money is yours. Your time is yours. Whatever you want to do, it's yours. But the day you get married, that money is not yours anymore. That Your time, it's not yours anymore. It is also someone else's. Your mind, your body is not yours anymore. It's someone else's. And the same is true when we get married, we find Christ, we follow Christ. The same is true of us. Okay, but how? And for what motivation? We are motivated because Christ has died for you and me. He left perfection in heaven to come to earth for you and me. He, take, he took the penalty for you and me of the law of not following it perfectly, the wrath of God poured out on him. He served us, he saved us, and is preparing a place for us. That's your bridegroom. How are we to ever stand at the altar and say anything other than, my life is yours? I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to give everything that I have because I couldn't even come close to give you what you've given me. What a motivation. Not out of duty, but out of delight. And for those of you in here that know the depth of what Christ has done, those things that I just said, you know what I'm talking about. How could you do anything else but to offer everything? 
I just want to love, serve, respect, honor you with my life. How crazy good is the one to whom we are married? How could we not want to obey, love, and serve him? Why would we sin and hurt him instead of obey and love him? That was Paul's argument, remember last chapter. Why would we continue going on sinning? He said, to the grace may abound by no means. This is why. Because those of you in here that know Christ and are following him would think, why would I sin and hurt the person that loves me? Could you imagine a husband and a wife and a husband that just over and over and over again chooses his own desires, his own wants, his own needs over the other? Would you ever look at them and go, wow, what a loving relationship they have? Probably not. So my question to you is, your relationship with Christ only about your wants, your needs, and your desires? Or have you considered the other? Because he considered your wants, needs, and desires. And you don't need to look any further than the cross to know how far he'll go to meet those for you. We now serve in a new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code, the written code meaning the law. <clears throat> in verse 4 it says, Likewise, brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. The effect of being raised with him, united with him, is that we can bear fruit for God. See, this isn't about trying hard or being better or getting to a better place. This is about Him doing a work in us through the Spirit, through, again, Jesus being a part of you. If you sit in this room right now, as a follower of Jesus, He is united with you. The power He had that literally rose Him from the grave and ascended Him into heaven resides on you. Too often we walk around thinking, I'm just some normal person. It's not true. The power of God, the presence of Jesus is with you always. Always. Acknowledge it, use it, ask for it, desire it. Point two is this. What good is the law then? Look at law in the relation to sin. Uh, verse 7 says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? We know by no means. Yet, if it had not been the law, I would not have known sin. This is a very, maybe you would think of this just a very practical answer. How do you even know what sin is? The law. If we weren't given the Ten Commandments, if God had never given us, this is what I would like for you to do as my people, would you know what sin was? We wouldn't. We wouldn't know what he wants. 
He would just be out there. We would have to come up with ideas of what he may want, what he may need. Do you know who does this? Religions for the whole history of mankind. Yeah, there's this water god, and we're just assuming that if we get in the river and we swim back and forth ten times, they're going to be happy with us. Right? This is, you can go and read history. This is true. They just make up stuff to try to make their god happy. Your god has come to you and said, no need. I will tell you what will make me happy. I will tell you how to obey me. Here are my commands. Said differently in verse 7 and 8. <clears throat> well, am I suggesting that these laws of God are evil? Of course not. The law is not sinful, but it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known the sin in my heart, the evil desires that are hidden there, if the law had not said, You must not have evil desires in your heart. The law reveals sin. Romans 3:20 says, The law comes. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. You and I know sin because of the law. The second thing is that the law activates sin. So it reveals it and it activates it. Verse 7 and 8 say, For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Paul uses the example of coveting. The law says don't covet or be envious of your neighbor. Well, for Paul, that now presents a dilemma because not only did he already want to covet, but not that he was not supposed to, now that he was not supposed to, he wants to covet even more. The box. Now that I told you you can't have it, you can't do it, but it's forbidden, you want to do it more. The law starts to activate sin in us. We know this to be true. Mom says you can't have a cookie, and now all you can think about is, I want to have a cookie. Just, just, just a little bit. Just like give me a crumb. Just something. Or there's a room with a locked door, and you're told to stay out, and now all you can think about is, what is behind the door? What's on the other side? I just, I just need to know what's on the other side of the door. The same thing is true about how the law works. All sin is the same way for us in relation to the law. The law says don't lie. Ooh, but it sounds exciting. Uh, <clears throat> the law says don't commit adultery or lust in your heart and mind. And you all of a sudden think, ooh, that sounds... Why is this? Because at the end of the day, we think that God is holding out on us. We think God is holding out on us. We want to be the one that determines our fulfillment, our satisfactions, because if you're really honest with yourself, you think you're the smartest person in the world to listen to. We want to be the rulers of our own destiny. We want to be God. So not only does the law reveal and activate sin, it also kills us. Paul says in verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death. 
to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. We know that the law and commandment, if perfectly followed, lead, uh, would have led to life. But if broken at all, would lead to death. This is what Paul is saying. In chasing perfection, or being just good enough, thinking you can do enough things, you're chasing death. I was deceived into thinking this was attainable and killed me, is what Paul was saying. As a Pharisee, he believed that he could be good enough and follow the law close enough to find life. <clears throat> then lastly, we see that the law brings recognition of the magnitude of sin. Did that which is good then bring death to me? This is verse 13. By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to me to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. I love how one pastor puts this. Before we can come under the teaching of the gospel, or before we came under the teaching of the gospel, sorry, we are blissfully unaware of the depth of our sin. Before the Holy Spirit, God, opens your eyes, you are blissfully unaware of your sin as you sit here. But as we begin to see more of God's righteousness through the law, the more we begin to see how short the of the standard we have fallen. We all need righteousness. We all need a Savior. We all fall incredibly short of the standard of the law. So you have two choices. You can be under the law or you can be under Christ. There's no other choices. So you see the law reveals sin, activates sin, it kills us, and it magnifies sin. There's an <clears throat> illustration about this. When we first Come to know, that's a terrible thing. Hey. Um, when we first come to know Jesus, this is our radar for our sin. There's a couple dots on there. And as we spend more time with Jesus and we continue to walk down the road, we continue to follow him, another five years goes by, all of a sudden you notice the radar gets bigger. Did we clear a couple of these out? Yep. We got a couple of those out. But now the radar just got bigger. There's more now. Oh my gosh, there's more? I spend more time with Jesus. More time with him. 30 years down the road. And I'm clearing a couple of these out over the decades. A couple in here. I'm like, man, I'm starting to do pretty good. More sins are to pop up. Why is this? This is because as you spend time with God in his word, reflecting on his law, you start to realize how short you fall. And how much sin has really been in you. It's not as if these dots weren't there this whole time. Your radar is just really small. And this is the beauty, is that when Christ saved you, 
the radar was as full as it could be. As our radar gets bigger, our appreciation for what Christ has done and the grace of coming under him, we appreciate that much more. So again, the beauty of the law is this. It shows you your sin. It reveals to you your need for Jesus. And it gives you a way to love and serve him after what he has done for you. So, I hope that as you reflect on the law tonight, that it would bring you to your knees and need for Jesus. That we need someone who can perfectly fulfill the law for us. And if you want to deny Jesus as the one who can do that for you, you can keep trying, but as Paul says here, you're chasing death. You can have a life in Christ. Let's pray.